This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. You've seen the headlines. Hospital systems across the country are suffering. Many are at capacity and overwhelmed with too many patients and not enough staff to help them. It's all due to COVID, and Illinois' hospitals are in the same boat. Hospitalizations from COVID-19 in Illinois are at their highest level since the pandemic first took hold nearly two years ago. And while most patients are not getting as sick during this surge, we are seeing full COVID units, long lines, and a slowdown in care. And on top of that, staff shortages. And those frontline healthcare workers say the next few weeks could be even more challenging. In a minute, we'll hear from a COVID nurse. But first, let's hear from Dr. Ernie Wong, Chief of Emergency Medicine at North Shore University Health System. Dr. Wong, nice to talk with you again. Hi, Sasha. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for for joining us. Uh, Tell us, what has this latest COVID search been like at your hospital? Uh, It is, as advertised, it has been like a COVID tsunami. About in the middle of the month, it's like someone just turned the switch on and everybody who came in over the last two and a half weeks um, either had COVID or came in with something uh, unrelated, but were COVID positive anyway. And that's just continued to accelerate and ramp up. And uh, every shift that I've worked um, has been full ERs. Um, We had uh, a lot of borders across our system, which mm-hmm. is not unusual uh, across the state and certainly the country. And, uh, you know, I've had to tell patients, you know, that I don't know an ETA for you for a, a bed upstairs because the entire hospital is full. And uh, last night, around shortly after midnight, I got a text from uh, one of the physicians saying, uh, Evanston is full. We have 10 boarders in the waiting, uh, in the ED, and mm-hmm. we have 15 in the waiting room. Uh, we have uh, uh, four patients that transferred to, to our Glenbrook COVID hospital and no ambulance um, until 8 a.m. So wow. all of those patients that are in the waiting room uh, can't come back. And uh, when the ambulances come in, um, we have to make a split second decision on who is the least sick to pull out of a room to room someone who's more sick. Goodness. So when you're having issues like this, you're, you're full beds, these long lines, this overwhelming number of patients, and you, you have issues staffing the ER with enough nurses and doctors, what kind of pressure does that put on the people who are working? Because this sounds very stressful. It is. Uh, there's no two ways about it. And I, I've been thinking about it. And you know, we heard a lot about fatigue and people being tired. But I think the more accurate term is beat up. Okay, we, we're all just beat up, and you know, I uh, my sleep is bad, <laughs> um, my diet's not great right now, um, 
my nose is scarred up from my N95, and uh, my colleagues um, uh, are all experiencing the same thing. And uh, it's it was uh, unavoidable in some ways um, because of the the you know enormity of this of this pandemic. And the N95, I hear you're wearing that now for the entire shift now, no breaks, correct? Right. Yeah, you you have to wear it anytime you're in the patient care area. So. What it does is, you know, it, it makes it hard to take it off and take a break because patients are always coming in and out, and to schedule a break is sometimes not feasible. So you have to pick and choose. Uh, but wearing it, uh, honestly, you know, I, I'd rather just keep it on and and kind of uh, keep going through my shift until I can get to a, a stopping point. But you know, that doesn't seem to happen as often. Mm-hmm. So. You just do the best you can. A lot of people are are testing positive for COVID-19 with the at-home tests, doctor. So what's the yep. threshold for someone who tests positive to show up at the ER? That's a really good question, Sasha. And I would say this. If you test home positive, you're positive. You don't need to come in. And I would uh, also encourage all of your listeners um, uh, to tell their friends and family uh, right now, uh, the ED is not a testing center. Okay, don't think of it as a testing center because uh, you know if you come in um, for a test, uh, you're going to have to to wait. Um, the EDs work on a different um, uh, mission than uh, any anywhere else. You know, it's not first come first served. It's worst come first served. So mm. if you come, you're going to get uh, our triage process, and this is standard across any emergency department, we'll take your temperature, your pulse, your blood pressure, respiratory rate, we'll check your oxygen level. And if all those are normal, you're going to uh, have to wait because there are many, many people with abnormal vital signs that we have to uh, prioritize. And if you come for a test, um, the tests that we run, they are PCR, so the, the, the sensitivity is, is just as good, mm-hmm. but they'll be run in a period of time that you'll get the result within 48 hours and not immediate because we need to save those rapid tests for patients that need to be admitted and, and uh, that might need you know, uh, emergent procedures done. So if you're just coming for a test, you will unlikely get a test result for uh, one to two days. Worst come, first served. That is Dr. Ernie Wong, Chief of Emergency Medicine at North Shore University Health System. Dr. Wong, thank you so much. Good luck to you. Stay safe. Thank you. Now let's turn to another frontline worker. Kristen Perez works on medical, surgical, and other units at UIC Hospital where she cares for COVID patients. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to Reset. Hi, Sasha. Thank you for having me. Kristen, you told one of our producers that nurses at UI Health are are going home every day with level 10 stress. What's your job like? Um, It is level 10 stress. And and for some people, even more than that, um, it is a very high-stakes environment right now. Um, We have gone from having three COVID-designated units that are not ICU to four. Um, we currently have 73 um, COVID patients in beds. That means all four units are completely full and seven patients waiting for beds in COVID units uh, who have nowhere for us to put them right now. Um, 
the ERs are overflowing. Mm-hmm. Um, our ER in particular is completely flooded. There have been 18 resignations from the EB department um, in the last several months, um, and that is related to COVID um, and nearby hospital closures. And so uh, floor nurses are being forced to float down to the ER where they do not have ER experience. Um, and so it's putting both um, patients at risk and it's putting nurses at risk. And there is not uh, a point in the day where there's not a level 10 stress. Dr. Wong said he felt beat up and that his sleep was off and he's not eating right. Does that sound like what you're dealing with in your colleagues? Most certainly. Um, we are all doing our best to cope with um, what's going on and um, and do the best we can to find humor and joy throughout the day, but it's difficult. And um, for myself, um, with the first wave, I did deal with some feelings of suicidal ideations and other like mental health struggles um, that I'm worried will rear its ugly head again. My goodness, Kristen. We've heard that, uh, you know, many nurses are also leaving the job completely, leaving the profession. Are you seeing that too? We're seeing that in droves. Um, I have seen so many of my colleagues who I trust and um, value their experience uh, retire. Um, These are nurses who um, were still young, don't, you know, um, were not at the end of their career, but because of the circumstances and because of the the length of their service, they were able to retire, and so they chose to do that. Um, And so um, I myself have been a nurse for 11 years, and um, even though I'm an experienced nurse, I very much valued um, the experience of people who have been there longer than me. Mm -hmm. And so when it starts to seem like I'm the most experienced nurse on the floor, um, that can make me nervous. And I'm confident in my skills, but it's it's um, the experience of somebody who's been there 20 and 30 years is invaluable, and we're losing that. Well, boy, are we grateful that you are with us, Kristen, and, and your help is, is much appreciated and much needed. Um, what can your hospital or any hospital provide for staff that would help nurses the most right now? I think at one point it would have been PPE. What do you need now? Um, So, I mean, we do need to maintain the levels of PPE that um, we currently have. In the first wave, we were being told we needed to reuse our PPE up to six times before we could throw it away. That currently is not the case, but we need to make sure that that remains, um, that we are able to get a new N95 mask every single day. Um, And we also need to maintain staffing levels. And I think the best way that the hospital can do that and retain staff and make sure that we're not getting burned out is provide us better staffing and also make sure that they're paying us um, an appropriate amount to maintain um, and incentivize us to um, continue to work and also work extra. What are we missing? What do you think the average person out there just doesn't understand about what it's like to be a nurse during this pandemic? I mean, I think people don't realize what we've been asked to do. Um, The sacrifice, like physically, mentally, um, that we have to give every day, Um, the isolation that it creates, um, and even just like the feelings of guilt from, um, you know, being worried about transmitting to someone you know or love 
or just um, the guilt of staying away from people as much as possible, even though you want to have social and familial interactions. And, the, you know, it's not only on healthcare workers. We need the public to participate in the preventative measures mm-hmm. and to get vaccinated, to isolate when they're sick, and to avoid big crowds because right now um, the Omicron variant is surging so bad that the system can collapse And then what will you do when you have a stroke or your mom is having a heart attack? Or, for instance, my grandmother needs a heart procedure, and I don't know that it's really safe for her to have that right now. So that's going to delay her necessary care. And that same thing could happen to somebody in your family or yourself. Uh, Kristen, I understand that, you know, despite all of the negatives right now, this somehow doesn't feel quite as, as dire as the earlier spikes in the pandemic when no one was vaccinated yet. But how would you compare now with then? Well, I would say that it doesn't feel as ominous um, because we've already lived through it once. And so we've already proven um, to ourselves um, emotionally, physically, you can live through this. Um, But we don't want to anymore. And that's, I think, the um, the biggest takeaway is uh, nurses are tired, and we don't, and and so are doctors and other healthcare um, workers, and we have been strained so much that eventually we will choose um, our own health and safety over the public, um, and some will not, and some will stay dedicated and working. And not to say that people who are choosing their own safety are not dedicated, but there is a, a limit and a breaking point, and we all have that, and. We're approaching it more and more, mm-hmm. um, even though Omicron is less dangerous than other variants. Um, just collapsing the system and filling the hospitals, and now with the amount of pediatric cases, you know, we're still struggling a lot. And so even though people aren't dying in the rates that they were before, there's still a lot of suffering going on. And you've seen a lot. You, you're a nurse who floats to all sorts of different units in the hospital, right? So you, you're seeing the bigger picture here. Right. So I float to every single um, inpatient adult unit in the hospital that is not ICU. So I uh, go throughout the hospital. I know what everyone is going through. Um, And even in the non-COVID floors, they're struggling because we have to staff the COVID floors first and foremost. And so nurses have to be pulled from those regular floors to the COVID floors, and that leaves those floors short. So it's uh, like a domino effect throughout the hospital and throughout the city and the state. You know, Kristen, uh, doctors, nurses, and many other medical professionals, I remember early in the pandemic, you were often referred to as quote-unquote essential workers, right? And I don't hear that phrase much lately. What do you make of that? I mean, I think calling us essential workers, calling us heroes was um, performative more than anything. It was good PR for hospitals, um, uh, you know, to keep us working and um, make us, you know, feel that we were appreciated. But the actions of, of hospitals, the actions of the state, the actions of the CDC have um, sent a different message. Um, and so we we know that even though um, those things have been said about us, the treatment of staff in the hospitals um, and the public policies that have come out recently show that the priority is economics and not public health and safety. What do you expect the next few weeks to be like? I do expect a big struggle. I do expect a lot of chefs 
staffing shortages and um, and hopefully in just as in other places, Omicron has surged and then um, quickly dropped. I hope that is the case here, but I think we can prevent a lot of death, a lot of healthcare delay, a lot of suffering of people and of the healthcare workers and other essential workers if people stayed home, if people were compliant with vaccinations and isolating when sick. That is UI health nurse Kristen Perez. Kristen, thank you so much again. You are so, we're so grateful for you. Thank you for everything that you're doing and, and thank you for making the time to join us today. Thank you, Sasha. That's it for today's Reset, and you can hear more of the news that matters to you by signing up for this podcast. And while you're at it, give us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.